In our sermon this morning, we're going to talk about things that are not very comfortable. As people, we tend to not want to be taken advantage of. That's human nature. Um, there's, a, there's a part of our brain, I'm not going to get into the technicalities of it, but, but there's a, the very central core part of our brain that has primarily two functions. One of them is to protect us from things that are harmful to us. And the other function that that part of the brain has is to cause us to run away from things that seem to be a threat to us. And so whenever you and I come into relationships with people, however new or however long those relationships may have been in place, there's this, there's this innate part of our minds that is always working and always evaluating and always looking and always studying the data that it's taking in to decide, is this a safe place for me to be or do I need to get out of here? And if I'm going to say, can I stay in this environment and can I be protected and will my well-being be all right? And if all of those things come up and you get the thumbs up on all that, you'll stay. But if there's something about that experience that seems to be a major threat, you're going to find a way to either change those experiences around you or you're going to run for your life. That's the way we're made. Well, Jesus causes us to look at some things, though, that are in a little bit different way. I don't know if you realize this or not, and I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that Jesus was a Muslim, uh, 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 not a Muslim, he wasn't a Muslim. <laughs> Jesus was from the Middle East. He was from the Middle East, and he, and he wasn't a uh, Buddhist, and he wasn't a Hindu, but I want you to understand something. Christianity is an Eastern religion. Now, I know that's not very comfortable to us because we live in the United States of America, and by all means, we are a Western civilized world. We're not Eastern, but I have news for you. Christianity was an Eastern religion long before we Westernized it. And if, if we'll think about that for a moment, it will give a little bit of a different perspective on the words of Jesus and how we can react to them and how we can live within them and not just live within them, but embrace them. And that's the challenge in the sermon this morning is to help us to see the words of Jesus and embrace them, not run away from them. Small print, I know it is, but I want you to realize that we have a choice to be either a warrior or a servant. And in a sense, we're going to be looking at both. But sometimes when we think of the mindset of a warrior, we think of fighting against something. And especially in the world that we live in, there are a whole lot of battles going on around the world. There, there's all kinds of things, all kinds of resistance. There's all kinds of turmoil in the world. People are fighting against one another and against different things. There are a few verses of Scripture that talk about our fight. Jesus said in John 18, 36, My kingdom's not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. As Jesus is about to be taken away, to be hung on the cross, he reminds those who are around him, who are closest to him, my battle is not of this world. My battle is not here. If it were, we could call down legions of angels and we could win the war. But my battle is not here. But how many times have you and I been guilty of fighting a battle like it's ours here? This world is not my home. Remember that song. This world is not my home. We are just passing through. And our treasures should be laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And there are others who are there who are awaiting our arrival. They've gone on before us. One of those persons who is awaiting our arrival is Jesus himself. He said, I'm going there to what? To prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again for you. He didn't tell you to fight here to make sure that this is the place that would be the most wonderful place in all of eternity. 
Our place is in heaven. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10, Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. There are some amazing weapons. I had a conversation just yesterday afternoon with a gentleman who lives at the marina. We were chatting and he's like, you know what? He said, I really wonder what's going to happen with China and the Soviet Union and, and Putin and Trump getting together for their summit and all of the, the, uh, uh, the extra tariffs that are being added. I'm like, nothing's going to happen. He's like, what do you mean nothing's going to happen? I said, if it was going to happen, it would have already happened. Because if China and Russia thought they could take us out, they would have already tried to take us out. But they haven't. I don't think any one of us in this room, unless you happen to have been one of those fortunate enough to have worked for some, you know, wonderful uh, high security organization and company that provides the highest of military things to our government, would really know what's going on in our world. But if other countries that didn't like us really thought they could hurt us or inflict some harm against us, they would have already done that. I don't think we have anything to worry about from the world's perspective of battle. Paul continues when he instructs Timothy, you man of God, flee from all of this stuff and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not even against the Republican Party. It's not even against the Democratic Party. It's not against the Green Platform. It's not against the Yellow Platform. It's not against the Australians or the New Zealanders or anyone. Our battle is against Satan. That's the only battle that we have to fight. But the world has a funny way of trying to trick us into thinking we have other battles. A servant is what God really calls us to be in this world. Not a warrior, as you and I think of warriors. I'm all for guys serving in the military. I have one regret in all of my life, truly only one, and that's that I did not go in the service when I was a young man. I graduated from high school just a couple of years after our beloved president abolished the draft, and out of the 327 good souls that graduated from high school with me, one man, one, went in the military right out of high school. And at my 20th, or not anniversary, my 20th reunion from high school graduation, he showed up and he's about to retire from the United States Army. And I was jealous. Because I'm thinking, that dude's got a pension the rest of his life. And I haven't even figured out what I want to do yet. So I had that one regret. I love our military. I love the Marine Corps and the Navy. And Javon's not here, but he's right there with it every week, working, representing us. I, I love the servicemen and women. Some of you have served honorably. Some of you have served honorably. And I'm excited that you served our country. Some of you are still doing that. It excites me. But God has called us truly to be servants. Even if we're in the military, he's called us to be servants to other people. And that is truly what I want us to recognize. We're to serve our brothers. We're to serve those that we love. But we're also called to serve those whom we may deem to be an evil person. And even those who may be deemed as our enemy. Now that sounds a little weird. Why in the world would God call us to serve someone who is an enemy to us? A sworn enemy. Why would God call us to love somebody who doesn't love us? Why would he call us to reach out and touch them in a positive way? I don't know. Except, 
I believe that oftentimes the only way that you and I will ever reach those who are deemed to be our enemy or an evil person is by the goodness of our hearts as it reaches into their heart and it reaches into their lives and begins to make an impact in their lives. I don't know any other reason. But Jesus offered these words. If you're offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You know, oftentimes when I've read over this verse of Scripture, I'm like, wow, if I have something against a brother, I need to go make it right. Um, but that's not what this says. That is not what this verse of Scripture says. This verse of Scripture says... If you are offering your gift at the altar and they'll remember that your brother has something against you, you are to leave your gift in front of the altar and go be reconciled to your brother. There's a story in the Old Testament. I don't remember the book, chapter, and verse, but if you're familiar with the history of Israel, you'll remember some of the details of this story. There was a time in the history of Israel when they were leaving a particular area and there were some very valuable items that some who were in the tribe of Israel decided they would take with them and God didn't want them taking any valuable things with them and they buried them under their tent any of you remember this story okay you remember the story and and all of a sudden bad things were happening to the Jews because somebody had some bad stuff in the camp there was evil in the camp can I call it that? There was evil in the camp. They had these items that didn't belong to them. They shouldn't have been there. And they had taken them with them. And they were going to take the gold and stuff with them. And they were going to keep it for themselves because they thought it was cool. And God realized there was evil in the camp and he shut them down. And I'm going to just be so bold as to say something to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. Especially especially to all of us who serve as leaders in this church or who have served as leaders in this church in the past. Are you listening, men? Do you realize that it is possible that there are brothers and sisters of this church who are not here because of something we may have said to them or have done to them, and we know that we said or did something to them that's caused them not to be a part? of our fellowship. So what are you going to do about that? In light of Jesus' words in this passage, it might be good for some of us maybe not to be here next week until we have remedied whatever may be outstanding between us and someone who doesn't go to church here anymore. And you may be thinking, holy cow, Ed, I can't believe you said that out loud. Well, I just did. And I will stand on those words. I'm just going to be honest with you, church. If you would love for this church to grow to 300, 500, 800, 1,000 members, 10,000 members, I don't know what it is. I don't know what God has in mind for this place. But I'm going to tell you this. If there's sin in the camp, we don't have any chance of this place growing. Just telling you, I'm just being as transparent and as blunt as I know how to be this morning, but if we don't fix that stuff that some of us know is out there, then we have a problem. 
And so long as that's here, we're going to be hampered and hindered because some of that exists. Now, ladies, if you think you're off the hook, let me just remind you that it is possible for some of the women to have said something to someone else that's caused them to be upset with you, and they don't want to go to church with you anymore because you said something or you did something. Maybe you didn't like their kid's haircut. I don't know. But all I'm offering to you is that all of us, if we stop and think for just a moment, there's the likelihood that there could be one or two or maybe 10 or 20 or maybe 50 or 60 people who aren't here anymore because of something we did. And we got to stand up for that. Not to defend ourselves, but to try to bring reconciliation to our brothers and our sisters who aren't with us anymore because of something that we did. That's what Jesus has called us to do. Now, is that fun? Are you kidding me? No, it's not fun. There's nothing fun about it. It's no fun eating crow. It's no fun trying to bring reconciliation sometimes. It's hard work. But God calls us to do it. Because if we don't, if we don't, we have to stand before God and say, oh, I just didn't think it was necessary. And he's like, well, did you not know how to read? Did you not hear the words of my son? I remind you, our destiny is greater than our wounds. Our destiny is heaven. That's where we are all bound. And this may leave a scar. This may hurt. This may wound us. This may be hard for us. But I offer to you, church, if we don't take care of some of these things, what are we left with? We're left with challenges that are unnecessary because God calls us to leave our gift at the altar and go and be reconciled to our brother who claims to have something against us. Not that we have against them, they have it against us. That's what he's called us to do. Jesus goes on, he says, hey, you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for two. Sound familiar? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I tell you this, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other one also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Wow. There's not much fun about these verses of Scripture. Not when you really think about how it could impact our lives. I mean, think about this. Here is Jesus, the Son of God, standing before all of these people, and he makes this statement. You've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, just go ahead and give it all away. He didn't say it exactly like that, but it's pretty close. If someone wants something from you, let them have it. Anyone ever asked to borrow something from you? How about money? Let's just talk about money. Let's just lay it all out today. Is that okay? What about the money? How much of it are you going to take? When we put you in your casket, how much of your money are you going to take with you? Nada. That's Spanish for zero, yes? Or nothing? I don't know what the word for zero is in Spanish. What is it? Zero? Zero. Nada. Nothing. You take nothing with you. None of your money. If you're fortunate enough, you might leave some of it for your kids. You might even leave some for your grandkids. But you will take none of it with you. And I understand that we live in a world where if you don't have a certain amount of money from the time that whatever that day is that you decide to retire until you die, guess what? 
there's a pretty good chance you won't get to stay in your house. Because even if it's paid for, our government charges you taxes just because you own a house. And you've got to pay the taxes on it. You know, I've often thought, if I hit the lottery, and by the way, I'm never going to hit the lottery because you have to buy tickets to hit the lottery, and I haven't bought any tickets. But if I were to buy a ticket, and if I did win the lottery, or if one of you bought the ticket and decided to share it with me, and we bought a big house, I'm thinking like a million-dollar house, which is a one-and-a-half bedroom, almost a quarter of a garage. <laughs> but if we spend a million bucks on a house, how much are the taxes on that thing a year? And if I retire my Social Security income, I couldn't even pay the taxes on my house. Aren't you glad you live in Orange County? So I know, I know that it takes money to live. I know it does. And I know if you don't have a lot of money in the bank, and in your own mind, your brain is telling you, danger, 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 danger. And your brain is going off and it's telling you to run. Because you need this stuff. You need this thing called money. I get all that. But if somebody comes up to you, they say, I'm, you know, whatever. They'd give them the money. And don't want it to them. Jesus didn't say, charge interest on the money you give to them. The Jews made that up. Jesus didn't say that. If someone wants to see you, take it. Give them your coat. If someone makes you go one mile, go two miles. If someone comes to you and asks you for something, don't turn them away. Don't turn them away. So what do you do in a world where there are 72 homeless people between you and McDonald's when you get out of your car? What do you do with that? You got to figure that out. I tried to help a lady the other day. She yelled and screamed at me. No, I don't want your food. That's exactly what she said. No, I don't want your food. As she's lighting her crack pipe. Some people you can't help. That's the reality of it. But when someone that you know that you love, someone that you may just kind of know and kind of love needs help, do not deny them. Do not stop from assisting them. Because that's what God has called us to do. And that is so foreign to the way that the world would have you to live. It is so foreign to how you've been taught to live according to the standards of the world. But that's what separates us from the rest of the world. That's what allows us to be different people. Jesus goes on. He says this. He said, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that. You see, God has called us to love the unlovable. He's called us to love those who we would sometimes deem to be our enemies. You know, it isn't beyond reason to think that this whole thing called the creation and this whole thing with creation of man and this whole thing with Jesus coming, maybe this whole thing, maybe it all, was to give the devil one more chance. Because I think Satan is the enemy of Christ. 
And you're probably thinking, well, the Bible says that hell has been reserved for him. Yes, it has been reserved. And God will send him there. But what happens if God lets this whole place be here long enough that he could get his attention? Do you think he would welcome him back as a prodigal son? God has called us to live differently than the world. He's called us to live as servants, reaching out to other people in ways that others won't understand. They won't understand what you're doing. They won't get it at all. They'll be wondering, what is wrong with you? Why in the world would you do something like that? And the only answer that you and I have to offer is because Jesus loves me. And he's called me to love others. And Jesus gave his life for me. And I should give my life for others. And all of my life consists of all of the things that are part of my life. Your destiny is greater than your wounds. I promise you, I promise you, if you treat people the way Jesus has called you to treat them in these few verses of Scripture from the Sermon on the Mount, you will be terribly inconvenienced. You will be terribly inconvenienced. And you'll miss appointments. And you'll have people that will call you and they'll annoy you and they'll become obstinate with you and you won't understand why in the world do I have to keep putting up with this. And you'll be just like Jesus as he overlooked Jerusalem from the hillside and he said, how long will I have to wait and put up with you? There's a reason Jesus went to the mountains in the middle of the night to get away from people. Because he had to rejuvenate himself. He just had to get away. He had to get connected to God. He had to listen to the Father. You and I have the same responsibilities. You and I need to be engaged in the same way that Christ is. Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What in the world? How do we be perfect? How can I be perfect? As Jesus was perfect. Well, the word perfect means to be complete doesn't mean sinless perfection, because none of us will ever attain that. But it, he does call us to be complete. One of the easiest ways that I know for us to experience this completeness in life is to begin to look at life differently and look at people differently. I'm going to share a story with you, and then the lesson will be yours. What if you were a person who all of your life has lived in a room, has all the accommodations that you need to be comfortable, but the only light that was coming into the room was from one large window. And the window was kind of dark and dingy. And all of your life, you've been looking out this window, and as you looked at all of the things on the other side of the window, everything looked just kind of ugly. Everything looked dingy. Everything looked distorted. It all looked a little bit peculiar. And then one day, somehow, some way, you bumped up against the window. And when you rubbed up against the window, you noticed that a little bit of that dirty, dusty, dingy part of the window became a little bit clearer. 
And you were a bit intrigued by that. And you decided, you know what, if that little bit was cleaner, let me clean just a little bit more. And as you, as you began to clean that little spot, you realized that, you know what, this, this window is actually glass and I can see all the way through it clearly. And you got excited about what that vision, that perspective of life would look like. And you decided to, to get some cloth and some water and some cleaning fluid and you started cleaning the whole window. And after a few minutes, maybe a couple hours in cleaning, you finally had this whole big picture window so clear, it was like looking straight outside and there was nothing between you and the outside world. But now all of a sudden, all of the things that you had seen, the flowers and the trees and the people walking by and the dogs and the cats, all of the stuff that you had seen now began to be seen crystal clear. And you're like, I never wanted to be with that before because it looked so bad and it looked so distorted and it was so ugly. But now that I see it, I want to be with that. And you go outside and you start to live with people. So what changed? Did anyone, anything, any plant, any person outside of that window change at all? And I would submit to you that nothing outside of your own perception changed. Nothing outside of your own mind changed. It's all still the same. None of that ever changed. What changed, though, was how you looked at the world. And I really believe that's what God is calling us to do, and that's what Jesus is calling us to do when he makes these audacious statements about loving your enemies and loaning to people without expecting anything in return and giving away your coat when they sue you for your shirt or when they ask you to go one mile, go with them two. When you and I begin to look at people in the way that God looked at people, when we look at them through these audacious statements that Jesus made and we begin to live in that audacious kind of life, it changes everything about us. And I promise you, it will change how people Look at you. The sad part is we have been pent up, bottled up, boxed up in a perspective of life that the world has imposed upon you. Because you've been taught since you were this small to be afraid of things, to be fearful of things, don't talk to strangers. Any of you ever heard that growing up as a kid? Don't talk to strangers. We've all been taught those things. And Jesus has taken the lid off that stuff. And he's calling us to live a life that is complete in him. Because that's the kind of servants that he's called us to be. Be perfect. Be complete. As he is complete and perfect in God. And see people and see opportunities differently than maybe you've ever seen them before because if we'll begin to look through the glass clearly we'll see opportunities where before we were afraid don't be afraid to walk through that door Brandon is going to come and lead us in this song oh to be like thee and I encourage you to ask yourself how much are you really being like Christ and if you're not being like him as much as you would like to be, then I invite you as we sing this song to ask God to give you the courage to be more like him. You can come up here and we can pray for you if you'd like us to, but you can ask God that of yourself standing right where you're at.
If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, today's a good day to start. It's a good day to start. Give your life to him. Be washed in the baptism so that all your sins can be washed away and you can start a brand new life today. If we can help you in any way to respond to this invitation and let Jesus truly be the Lord of your life to see things differently and to be like him, would you come as we stand and sing? Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, this is my constant belonging.